When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. It's an iHeartRadio and Dan Patrick Podcast Network production. And I'm Joey Santos. And I'm Alan Nevins. This week, we're talking about inspiration and resilience. And, you know, those are two things we could really use a little help with. Right yes, now. we could during these times. Yeah. Uh, joining the conversation this week is Janine Shepard, a brilliant woman who has an unbelievable story. I have really fallen for this woman. She's Australian. She was an elite skier whose bid to represent Australia in the Olympics was cut short by a terrible accident she had in the 80s. She was riding her bike down a road while training, and she got hit by a truck. She was told she'd never walk again, and not only has she made a full recovery, but she started flying when they told her she wasn't going to walk. She thought, well, if I can't walk, I'll fly, and she started to learn how to fly. And as you know, that would be something I really want to talk to her about. Yeah, for sure. And you know, she's also a teacher. She's a motivational speaker. She's an author. She's a mother. I mean, with everything, she's just this amazing, amazing woman. I mean, talk about inspirational. And she's a badass. I hate that expression. But I yeah, like she it. Is she a is. Bad. If anybody can is. wear that one, I'm going to let can. her wear it. Yeah, she she's can wear badass. it. She's also in the process of creating a PhD program based on the courses within her School of Resilience. Works right into our theme today. Yep. She'll be updating the courses specifically for spinal cord injury patients. Well, let's grab a drink and dive in. So before we start, you know, we got a uh, question from a listener. We did. It was directed at you. Oh, I hate Favorite it. It's like thing. being put on the spot. I know. Well, they want to know who was the craziest client you've ever had. And give us a story that kind of makes her seem like she's crazy. <laughs> Why are you saying she? Because I know who it is. Oh, you do? Of course I know who it is. You, you think I'm going to go there? Well, we don't have to say. No, I'm not going to say her name. And she's not a client anymore. She longer. was. She was for a while. Just because they're famous doesn't mean they're nice. But yes, uh, I had a client. And actually, I, I, I liked her. There, I think there's other p problems going on there, but I liked her. And, and extremely talented. And at one time, really talented. And beautiful. And Audrey Hepburn had died. And this client I was quite close to at the time. And it was like 12 midnight, 1230 at night or something. And I was in bed and the phone rang and I picked it up and I was like, hello? Like, who's calling me at 1230 at night? And it was this particular client who was in Canada. She sounded a little drunk. And I said, what's, what's going on? And she said, you know... Audrey Hepburn is dead, and she used to run that UNICEF thing and travel all over the world, and she was a spokesperson for UNICEF. Don't you think I'd be really good at that? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's not like an acting job. She did it because... She cared. She, she cared. It was and a she, passion. Yeah, this was her passion. And she said, yeah, I could be passionate about that. I said, well, you do realize that she 
did not fly first class, and she was going to Africa and places like this, and it was always in coach, and she took a little bag with her and traveled very lightly, and the phone went click. <laughs> it was over. All you had to say is coach, and that that idea was gone. So she was a little crazy, that client. Well, at least she had her wits about her with the way she flew. Yes, exactly. She wasn't that crazy. <laughs> she wasn't that actually. crazy. She wanted to fly coach. <laughs> if she took the job, she'd be crazy. <laughs> anyway, I hope that so answers maybe, your question. So maybe that wasn't a good answer. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> All right. What is this cocktail you've brought? It's very cold. <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually a little something I came up with for Janine. I'm not going to tell you about it. No, I'll wait till she comes on and then I can explain it to her. Uh, in length because uh, it's sort of like uh, I did it frozen because of the skiing aspect. So I'll explain it. Oh, I like it. So yeah. I get to drink it, though. You can drink I can it. Try yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Don't get a brain freeze, though. No, I won't. <laughs> drink it slow. Sip it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? What? Without hopefully all the calories. Those drinks when you go to Hawaii, and I think they call them volcanoes, and they have that strawberry swirl in them, uh-huh. and you down them. Like a milkshake, but they're like twenty five hundred calories. Yeah, each. and then you get a total, bra- and you get a total brain freeze. When you, you do get a brain fast. freeze, but you also get fat. By the time you get up from the oh, pool, yeah, you've well, drank you a- twenty thousand calories. You know how you get rid of a brain freeze? No, I'm asking you. It's a serious question. Push on your temples. I don't know. Is well, some a- people say that. Is you- there a scientific method? Well, you don't drink it fast. No, well, no I'm kidding. No, if you get a brain freeze, you, don't you drink take it at all. the drink, the frozen drink that you're mm-hmm. drinking, and you press it up against your pulse. And it stops it. Really? Yep. Because I get those very easily. I do too. I just press it right against So I just the take air. this glass like this and, and I just push it up push here? push it up against your pulse. So you could actually drink it like this with your, your wrist yeah. and everything coming it. up to your face? Don't push it, Alan. <laughs> Don't push it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you out here. All right. We'll talk to her about your drink. Yes. How was your week? Uh, my week was great, Anything actually. perseverant? We, uh, can you believe this? What? Finally, we're back in space again. We just landed. Oh, yes. The, the Mars Perseverance. Yeah. rover. Is that what they call it, actually? The Mars rover? It just l- landed, what, 10 days ago, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it was so. called yeah. the Perseverance. Mm-hmm. Perfect well, that time. works right into our little... Somebody named it just right. They must have known we were going to do this podcast. They must have. These are the things I miss growing up. You know, people now, we're doing these incredible things. And you know, people don't even watch these rockets take off. They, they act aside. like this is it's like, so, yeah. like this is so like, oh, uh, who cares? It's just a rocket. They don't understand what goes into these things. Landing on the moon. Do you remember people standing and watching? If you didn't have a TV, you were at the drugstore watching through the window. This was like the biggest thing that happened in this country. And now, you know, these rockets take off. They're going to Mars and everybody's like, ugh, But boring. it gave it, you know, that, what, it just shows you where we are as a people, though, as, as Americans or as the world, really. Because that was such a sense of pride as Americans for all of us. How could you not miss that? How could you not be excited about that? It brought so much it brought the future so much closer. I mean, people should get behind this. These are massive accomplishments. Massive. And nothing. Oh, nobody, well. nobody cares. It wasn't in their phone. It didn't pop out of their phone and do anything, so they're not interested. They'd rather play the Land on Mars video game than actually watch the real thing happening. I know. It's very strange. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Last night, mm-hmm. we had dinner at your place, and you said it was going to be keto. And I have to say the one thing I think that everybody can agree on is when you hear diet, 
When you hear that word diet, all you panic is about no flavor, no flavor, no food, no this, no that. You know, Jenny Craig on TV with those plastic wrapped things coming to your house. You panic. And last night, you won me over in such a big way. And what are the two foods that I hate the most? Uh, mushrooms. Correct. And eggplant, but I didn't do eggplant. You didn't do eggplant, but you did mushroom noodles or noodles made from mushrooms. So Correct. That they're keto. And of course, what did I do? I was like, no, thank you. I'll take the peanut mushroom or peanut noodles or whatever they were. The regular yeah, the noodles. Other, the other noodles. The, uh, the low main noodles, which are not keto, but I did that for certain guests that are. Like you know, me, that won't eat mushrooms. That won't eat <laughs> And then what did I do? I tried. You ate the, and you stuck with the, I, with the, the, noodle, mushroom. the mushroom noodles. Yeah. It was so good. And they're so simple. And they're almost like um, they're reminiscent of the, the Asian glass noodles. That's what they And they look like that. They yeah, look like they the glass like noodles. And so, I mean, I like kind it. of, the, the theme of the evening, I kind of did an Asian theme, you yeah. know, within the presentation and in the, so, and in the sauces. If and, I could eat like that every night and still lose weight, can. I am in. God, that was good from the shrimp. What did we have? Shrimp and. Uh, I grilled uh, shrimp, I grilled steak, and I grilled um, ahi tuna. And then yeah, I what made did you do the, to that steak, though? Because it was red, and it, you did something special to that. It was completely I just different. marinated it for a bit in, uh, in all sorts of um, Asian spices and stuff, five uh, spice and ginger and right. lemongrass and, uh, you know, soy sauce and a few few different things like that. But Green you onion. know the, the pea pods, which yeah, were amazing. Yeah, the snow peas. Snow I made peas, those real spicy. And then I did, I did another thing with... Uh, oh, and then, of course, the other noodle dish with all kinds of Asian vegetables. I love that. I, I ate that. it all. I ate it all, and I thought, wow, I could eat like this every night and be completely happy. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm glad you guys did, too. We had five people over, and everybody kind of cleaned up. Yeah. So it was fun. I don't know if everybody did thirds like I did. <laughs> no, there wasn't anything left, and usually— I know. I know. I was very disappointed to leave empty-handed with no leftovers. The no t- well, you oh, you know, I make you a to-go every time you come over, and who forgets it? Oh. I then forgot I hear, it. Then I hear the next. Yeah, time. the next day. Up, up. I forgot my up. I forgot my salmon. Up. I forgot my. <laughs> I'm like, guy, can you just not forget your stuff? Well, that's what happens when you reach a certain pinnacle of success in your life. Right. I can't be bothered taking the food home in a H. container. But H. I would. I would always bring your food home in H. a container because I can't wait to get home and eat it again. <laughs> When you no do one's have watching. a healthy appetite, I must say. When no one's watching. I... You do have a healthy appetite. <laughs> <laughs> Before we have Janine join us, what do you use or what do you do or listen to or read or watch to find inspiration? Inspiration in life, in cooking? Inspiration in, in whatever it is you're doing. How do you get inspired to do certain things, no matter what it is? <sighs> I mean, you're cooking every day. Do you have to get revved up for that and go, oh, God, now i got to cook another well, the the food another inspiration, salmon, another fried chicken. No, I, I mean I'm always excited about that, but I think you know I find the inspiration in color, in presentation. In the, I mean I could, I shop for every meal. I never, I'm not one of those people that have that keeps a freezer full of things, or plans it a week in advance or two days in advance. I get inspired that day for that meal, whatever looks really fresh and good, and then I'll conjure up something. And I like themed things. You know, I like global cuisine a lot, so I like to experiment with those things and adding different spices and flavors together. And some things on television inspire me, you know, like some cooking shows. Although what I do miss are the actual cooking shows. You know, everything is a competition now. 
So you lose a little bit of what's behind the artistry or how you create. And it's interesting to learn from those masters, those great chefs, just technique and and some of the recipes that maybe are from 30 or 40 years ago, and which is kind of interesting to make the, to bring them back a little bit. I mean, you never hear of lobster Newburg. Whoever hears that, whoever orders that, some people don't even know what that is. So I like to I like to do some of those things. Mac and cheese. Remember how duddy that was? Oh yeah. And now it's got it lobster, lobster, it's got this, it's which got I truffles love. and everything else, which can be a little bit much because when you take it back to its original form, it's kind of the best. Great cheese, you know, really good, a few different kinds of really good cheese and bake it so it has a crispy top and a creamy center. So some things don't really need who to it be is, improvised. But someone's got a great lobster mac and cheese, and I can't remember who it is. That we in a restaurant here? I think so. Is it Craig's? Maybe. Maybe it's Craig's. I don't know. Somebody has it. All, yeah, it is all Craig's. I, is it, all it I remember is, is it's really good. Yeah, it's real creamy in the center, and that lobster is really good. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, you know, that and, and I get inspired by everything. Colors, like I said, the weather, you know, people, friends, you know, that there's very few things. I I've kind of lived my life by inspiration. Anyway, I wake up every day ready to go find something new and different and exciting. So I'm not that guy that needs too much of a push when it comes to that. So I'm fortunate that way. Yeah. I'm a curiosity person. I think that's what keeps me going. I'm curious about lots of things. Mm -hmm. And I I, kind of have to know, you know, (laughs) all I remember is when PCs first came into, I was working for Irving Lazar and PCs were sort of the new thing when you could have a personal computer. Yeah. And it wasn't good enough that I could just sort of type the thing and let it work. I had to know how it worked. I had to know, like, well, how do you program it? Like, what makes the thing slide across? Why does it print a P? I had to know all these things. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I had to experiment and read about it. But it gave me sort of a basis that helped me for a long time on computers. And that transfers into your everyday life, too. Yeah. Cur- and I've known you a long time. You're curious about everything. Everything. Yeah. And that's a really great thing. It's a healthy thing. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I want to know about a lot of things. Yeah. I like to. But even with people and yeah. where they come from, how they think, what what their opinions are, that, that's kind of really uh, endearing, I think, in people to have that, to be around people that are curious. Because that means you're curious about life and you're interesting. Well, that comes back to our thing, you know, with people saying they're bored and I'm like, bored? How could I be bored? I've There's, never been bored. I have so many things I want to do. I'll never get them done in this lifetime. Not to mention the books that I want to read and the things. I just, I'll Ugh, never I get can't. to them. It drives me crazy. I just had this conversation with a really good friend, and he was saying, I can't wait for this to be over. I said, what? He said, you know, this the way the world is. He said, I, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do. And I said, uh, if you could start with a little bit of a makeover, first of all, that oh. hairstyle. Well, I mean, you, but, I mean, there are things. <laughs> but, I mean, you can't is say Is this person there's still nothing. a friend? Well, <laughs> maybe now. Oh, but no. Is it the person this. I'm thinking of? No, not her. Oh, okay. She hasn't spoken to me since. Oh, I suggested okay. a makeover. Nope. <laughs> not since. But. Well, it's hard to hear the truth, it's just, isn't but it? it? But it's not only just a makeover with your p- physical appearance. It's a makeover in your attitude and the way that you look at life. That needs a makeover. The things that seem like they might be boring, such as a simple walk. You know, when we were, I would like, you know, grab Will or Aiden or somebody here and say, let's go for Aiden a walk. Aiden is Will's son. Will's son. And say, you know, let's go for a walk up the canyon. And, you know, at first you get the, uh, you know, walk. But once you get out there, you realize it really opens up. And then you start noticing, you know, people's homes and architecture. And then, of course, at the top of the hill here. Oh, you can with see the guy having sex that you can see in the window? Is that the, remember that time? <laughs> you told me that there was a couple. You went for a walk and <laughs> their windows was open. Their blinds were open and you could see them going at it. 
Remember? I don't. Yeah, I, it's right up the hill on your street. Anyway, is, is that where you, you were not going there? That's not where I was going. <laughs> okay, well, leave it to me. But oh, um, there you go. No, there's the view, you know, of the city at the top of my street. <laughs> that was a view. I have to think about that now. It sort of sounds familiar. Yeah. You but... told me all about it. You stayed for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to well, check. not in the walk so fast. I'll have to check my notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> check your phone. There should be some photos. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I get, I get you. I know my mother used to be a runner. Because she felt that no matter what you can carry with you on your mind or on your back about life, for some reason, it just it all went away by the time you came back. She'd run two, three miles every day. And usually she'd start at Doheny, uh, you know, right on uh, Little Santa, on Santa Monica Boulevard at Doheny. And then she'd go all the way to where it turns into Wilshire and then turn around and do it again and then again. So two, three times she would do that run. And she loved it. And she just said it opened up her whole her lungs, her, you know, everything just fell away. So whatever she may have been burdened with, it just sort of went away. And uh, so I always remember that. My brother was the same. He loved <clears throat> to run too, so. That's the endorphins releasing too. Mm -hmm, I know because sure. I, I ran cross country in high school. And then, of course, after high school with my friend Jamie, we would continue to run. And, you know, we would run eight to 10 miles a day, which is far. Yeah. And, uh you know, you get into that rhythm and we would put on headphones and a lot of times we would share the music so that we would have one headphone going into, you know, I mean, two headphones going into one device. So we were listening to the same to thing. To the same thing. And you, your mind just kind of goes somewhere else and all those things that when you started running that were really annoying. Yeah, they fall away. Yeah, they fall away. You know, you, you just can't concentrate on them. This is a good lead in to our guest. Yeah, I believe it is. she's done all of these things and... She's, she's an amazing her. athlete, and I mean, and when she's you hear got a her story, story to tell, gonna, yeah. So you might, you may want to pull up a seat and listen to this one. Yeah. Oh, and the cocktail. Don't forget, and I'll tell you what that is soon. But when we come back, when we come back, welcome back. And joining us all the way from Australia, down under Sydney. That's Australia. Yeah, but <laughs> specifically. Oh, I didn't know we had to do her <laughs> well, coordinates. I'm just mentioning it. I didn't know we were doing coordinates. Yes, we are. But joining us all the way from Sydney, Australia, Thank is Janine Shepard. Hello. Now, I met Janine, interestingly enough, I met you through an attorney who I know listens to the podcast, John Tishby, because he was working with somebody you were working with. And he called me and said, you know, you should meet this guy, Jamie. And he'll be very happy. We yeah, no, he's waiting to be on the show. He was, he was <laughs> I know he's feeling very left out. And uh, and then he introduced me to you. And here we are. We've had a, a great relationship. We've put together a deal. We've got all sorts of things going on. And it's only just the beginning. And if anybody can talk about it only being just the beginning, that would be you. We gave a little intro into uh, who you are, but it was very short. And I think for everybody's benefit, maybe you could give us a nutshell wrap-up of what you were doing when you had this terrible event happen in your life and how things progressed. And here you are, all smiley still today. So you want me to give the elevator pitch? The elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only 20 floors With, in this but building. But no elevator That's music. Right. No, and the, the elevator music. Well, <laughs> this is not a high rise. It's only 20 stories. <laughs> well, in a nutshell, my story, which uh, people follow around the world and know from my TED talk, 
is that I was, and I've been an athlete my entire life. I was actually found myself in cross country skiing, training for the Winter Olympics. I was on a bike ride with my teammates, run over by a truck. I died. Um, I tell people I didn't have a near-death experience. I had a death experience. I actually left my body, and I have a very clear awareness of that. And I made a decision to come back to my body, and when I did, um, I was paralysed in a spinal ward. I spent six months flat on my back in, in that ward, and they told me that I'd never be able to do the things I did before, that I would most likely be in a wheelchair, I'd never have children, I had to rethink everything I did in my life. And I got out of hospital and obviously was very depressed about that. And I realised one of my, I guess, one of my tools that I've used my entire life is loving the hills, and we can talk about that later. But I decided that if I was going to beat this accident, I had to find something to replace everything I'd lost. And one day I looked up and saw an aeroplane flying over and thought, that's it. If I can't walk, then I'll fly. And I was lifted up into an aeroplane for the first time and I went on and became, even though I'm actually a paraplegic, but I'm walking now, I learned to walk, uh, but I became a commercial pilot, um, a flying instructor, an aerobatics pilot, an aerobatics flying instructor. I had children. They said I wouldn't have children. I had three, have three. And, and you know, I've written books about my experience and that's what I do. I share my story. Wow. Wow. I mean... I don't even know how to come back from that one. <laughs> God, the story you were going to tell us is nothing now, is it? I mean, I was going to talk about a head cold I had. <laughs> that doesn't quite compare. <laughs> yeah, no, it's quite a story, and but it is an inspirational story. And I think from the minute I met you, what I so loved about you was there's always a smile on your face. There's always an uplifting message. There's always positivity in your voice. There's nothing that's a downer. You just look on the bright side of absolutely everything. Even when I say, oh, you know, I don't love this line in the contract, <laughs> we'll make it work. Well, you know, I have to say, though, um, well, thank you. I, I do. I think my, my daughter tells me that I'm um, overly optimistic and I am. I'm, I'm an optimist. And I think that we know from positive psychology and science that optimism, you know, really helps you overcome depression. Um, it's a great tool to have in your toolkit. So um, I'm happy that I'm optimistic. Sometimes I have to bring it down a bit. <laughs> but you know, I I still have my tough days. But I haven't I haven't I have the tools that I know how to get through those now. And living with a disability, because I you know I'm a woman with a disability. It's it's not easy. And every day of my life takes a commitment. It takes a yes to life. Yes, I can do this. And yeah, it becomes a choice, like like happiness does. That's also a choice. You, you bet, Joey. I mean, everything's a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're all optimists. Maybe that's why we get along so well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I know I, I didn't have a choice with that. I mean, for me, I, I, when I say the choice, because that was always who I was in spirit. So I always looked for that. Even when I wasn't feeling happy or it was still, there was no other choice than to make myself happy or make the situation better, or anything in my life that, that had to do with that. In other words, even though it's a choice, but there's no other choice for me. So that's how I live my life, surrounded by that, yeah. with that intention anyway. Yeah, you know what, Joey, I have to, I have yeah, to but... bring up that word happy because, I, you know, you're, gonna, you're probably going to find this surprising, but I'm not a real fan of the word happy because I think it's such a loaded word. 
You know, people think that happy, you know, that you're meant to be happy all the time. And so I think that's the problem with a lot of younger people these days. They think if I'm not happy, there's something wrong with me. And I say, you know, life is the full spectrum of emotions. You know, be happy when you're happy. And sometimes it's appropriate to be sad. You know, there's people struggling right now. So I prefer the word um, content. Yeah, I was going to say contentment. Yeah. Yeah, that might not sound like what everybody thinks they want, but contentment is more just riding the waves, you know, and being able to be okay Mm -hmm. with whatever life brings. It is true. That is kind of an eye roll. She's happy again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can you slap the happy right off her face? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's it's a loaded word. And, you know, I think that's... Problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a lot to live up to. That's what it is, you know. And let's I mean? face it, life is tough, and that's one of the messages I always tell people. You know, life is tough, but that's okay. Are we going to complain about that, or are we going to roll up our sleeves and solve the problems? And I think, um, and that's and that's what life's about. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And and what were you competing for when you were skiing? Yeah, I was um, a cross country skier. So I was. I mean, it's the ultimate endurance sport, and. It's the toughest sport there is, and it involves a lot of hills. And, um, you know, for me, life is about hills. Life is about the challenges in life. All of the challenges are just hills. And um, going back to what we said before, Joey, I mean, do we complain about it or do we roll up our sleeves and say, okay, so now what? And just do it. Janine, you're never going to believe this. But, you know, last week you and I were talking and I brought up the flying lessons and I had forgotten that you had done the flying as part of your therapy in a way. But you know what else we have in common? I was on the cross-country ski team for four years in high school. No. Oh. And my senior year, I was a California all-star. I snuck on the team. I can't remember whether it's number nine or number 10, but I barely got on the list of California all-star <laughs> cross-country skiers. Well, then you love the hills. I loved it. It's one of those things, you know, again, you know, it's out in the country and it's like, you know, sort of like running. It's like hiking in a way on skis with, you know, more fun because when you're going downhill, it doesn't hurt your knees so much. (laughs) It's beautiful. I mean, most people probably find it surprising, you know, in Australian skiing, but we actually have, you know, really great conditions for cross-country skiing here. And at the time I'd been, I joined up with the Canadian ski team and had been invited to join up with their team in preparation for the Olympics. So, I mean, I really wanted to do something that no Australian had ever done before and, and to sort of put our country on the map, um, you know, as a force to be reckoned with, but it wasn't to be. I, you know, life had other plans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, you know, we make a drink each week for our podcast. I know you've listened and so Joey has created a drink for you. And because of the skiing, he's going to tell you about it. <laughs> it's called the Aspen. Oh, it looks delicious. And so it's uh, because you've recently, I heard, discovered margaritas? Fairly recently. I know. What's wrong with me? <laughs> um, yeah. So this is to make up for the, the time you've <laughs> lost. And it's two margaritas that are frozen in one glass. So a traditional lime margarita on the bottom. And then a traditional um, strawberry margarita on the top, and they're both frozen. And it gets uh, silver tequila, a little lime juice, a little orange liqueur, the fresh strawberries, <clears throat> lime juice, and you mix it all up, a little bit of agave or honey if you prefer. Put it all in the blender, and then uh, push, go, and drink. Cheers. Oh, uh, is that on the rocks, Joey, or not? Is that all? Mm-mm. No. Blended. 
Tell me about the flying. What was it that when you looked up, what was it about seeing the plane that caught your attention and why did you think that was for you? You know, people ask me all the time, you know, why did you choose flying? And to be honest, I think flying chose me. I, I have this, you know, belief that life is eavesdropping on us and giving us messages all the time, you know, go this way, go that way. And to me, it was just, it was inspiration. And it was the craziest thing. I had never wanted to fly in my entire life. And you've got to remember, I was in a wheelchair. I was in a plaster body cast. I was learning to use a catheter. You know, I, I still have no feeling from the waist down. And so, you know, I wondered, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with my life? And, you know, I thought my healing was all about the physical, but in fact, it was it was not. It was all about the mental and emotional aspects. And so when I was lifted up into that aeroplane and went flying for the first time, and I know you can relate to this, Alan, because it's magic. I dreamt about flying. I got up in the morning and I, you know, I'd go out to the airport and I'd hang her out, you know, with all these males, mostly. I, I was the only female out there. And at first that was really challenging because, you know, they would look at me and think, you know, she's never going to be able to do this. You know, that took a lot of inner sort of strength and fortitude to sort of put that aside and think, no, I'm doing this. There were times when I thought, what am I doing? You know, I was in and out of hospital having operations, putting my body back together and, you know, I'd just go for the next lesson. And then I, I did my aerobatic uh, rating and then they gave me a job and then I was teaching other people how to fly upside down. I think Joey's going to join me, I think, on Saturday for my lesson and sit in the back seat. Hopefully quietly and not screaming. In abject horror. Enjoy it. It's going to be so much fun. And No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and plus supporting him. And I'm so proud of him that he's doing this. And I see the love that he has for it and the, uh, the excitement that comes along with it. So I, I'm happy to go along. So, yeah. Great. Well, I look forward to flying with you one day. Time for a refill. We'll be right back. Did you write in your book a lot about your flying? I did. I did. And I think, you know, the flying, I think that's one of the reasons my story really resonates, even though it's a, a woman's story. Um, you know, there's so many aspects of my story, you know, about sport for a start, sport and disability and flying. I mean, who doesn't love flying, right? I, I secretly think everyone wants to learn to fly. <laughs> I've had emails and letters over my career from, you know, nine-year-old girls to 80-year-old men who have just, you know, it resonates. There's sort of some part of my story, and I think the flying obviously, um, you know, resonates with a, with, a, with a lot of males, particularly the aerobatic mm -hmm. side of it. Um, and, I'm, yeah. you know, of course, now women. I, I spoke a few years ago at the um, Women in Aviation up at Reno, and that was let me tell you, that was the most amazing conference. These women are kick-ass. They're amazing. And I was the keynote speaker. Um, we had maybe, I don't know, 3,000 people at this lunch. And I'm sitting at the main table and I said to the lady next to me, so um, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm an astronaut. And I was like, you win. Yeah, <laughs> you win. <laughs> That's it. You're like, no, you can't top that. Was it a cathartic experience for you to write that book? Or was it tough? Was it tough to go back and relive that? You, you know, really, really cathartic. I'd say that for anyone, you know, we all need to sit down. We've, everyone's got a story, right? Yeah. So for me, it was very healing. You know, when I wrote my very first book, I didn't even know if it was going to get published, but I wrote because I needed to make sense of what I'd been through. 
writing allows me to make sense of my experience. Well, this ties perfectly into your TED Talk because it was called A Broken Body is Not a Broken Person. Yeah. And this is you. I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah. perfect title for you. It is. I, I, you know, I love one of my strengths. I, I When I uh, mentor people, coach people, I'm always about, you know, what are your strengths? We know that when you're connected to your strengths and everyone has signature strengths, that you're more engaged, you're more alive, you're more excited. And, you know, one of my strengths is love of learning. And I feel like I've been studying resilience my entire life. So why not now um, put that into, into use to help other people? And so um, the resilience course that I wrote, I want to adapt that for uh, people with spinal cord injuries because I've been there. I am a spinal cord injury patient. So I'm excited. It's something no one's you know has done at this point. So that'll keep me busy for the next three to five years. <laughs> right. Well, interestingly enough, we had a guest on, we had Janice Dickinson, the model on a couple of weeks ago, something came up in our conversation and she was talking about Joey's father, who's a well-known actor. And she said, Oh, you know, your dad said, you know, we don't have any pity in this family. And, you know, Joey's had some, or no time for pity. That was, Oh no, that's what it was. Yeah. No time for pity. And Joey's had his own sort of strange experiences, which I don't think most people know uh, about Joey's family and some of the things they, too, have gone through. You should tell about your brother and your sister. He was my older brother, and uh, I was 10 years old at the time. Um, my parents had just bought him a brand new car for his birthday. It was his first car. He just turned 18. And so he was all excited about taking the car out. And this was we lived in New York at the time. So he's all excited about going out for his first ride in the car and everything. And my father says, no, you're not driving the car until all the insurance is done. And, you know, you have to make sure that everything is right. And a few evenings later, my parents had gone out for the evening on a date night and we had a babysitter. And my brother went out to his best friend's house to hang out with him. And the best friend had two motorcycles. So he convinced my brother to go on a motorcycle ride, the two of them together on their different, you know, each motorcycle, both of them, and they were riding through the streets of New York, and a car went through a red light and hit him. And so he snapped his spinal cord. So he was taken to the hospital, and he, he was a complete athlete. He was, my father adored him, my mother and father both, and we all did, you know, but he was just this brilliant guy, smart and good-looking and athletic, and he was all of these things, and then he was going to have to live his life as a quadriplegic, you know, and that was just unfathomable uh, to him. And um, he wound up not surviving and he died three months later. And I think the lesson that we learned was, I mean, especially now talking to you and the reading, I don't think we had those tools completely then for him, or I don't think he had them. Maybe he was so young and I don't think he had them because maybe if he had a semblance of that, he could have applied something. But, you know, you, you can't live in the woulda, coulda, shoulda, or how it should have been or whatever. The, the miracle that we did find was the miracle of family and how we were able to become each other's strength at our weakest time, you know? And then we, we were able to firm that together as a family and then believe in something better. And, and as he moved on and traveled on, we were able to cope with that and live with that. And then, you know, two years later, my sister was abducted and then she was murdered. And so, again, the family fell apart. But what we learned during that time with him were the tools that we still carry to this day. So we were able to rebuild our family again and find a, a light and a strength, even though they couldn't, 
but we did. So in a way, they did through us. Wow, Joey, that is, I mean, what an extraordinary journey your family has been through. Yeah. You know, in that same way, um, I, you know, it's listening to other people's stories. I really think that we heal through listening to people's stories and being connected and knowing that other people are going through really tough times. And for me, one of the greatest gifts in hospital was um, they moved me next to the girl in hospital that was the most injured or disabled they said and she was a complete quad her name was Maria and because we were closest in age they moved me next to her because they thought it would be good for her but the truth was it was actually good for me yeah and and we can learn from each other's story I think and that, I think that's what we're missing so much of we, we've become a society that it's all about me you know it's like we never take the time to listen and learn and wow yeah. You know, sometimes it's just sitting back and, and letting somebody else tell their their story and that can make you get through whatever is going on in your life, bad, good, or indifferent. Yeah, I mean, what's the choice? You know, you have a choice, you know, so. We have a choice. It's not like you're doing anything else. I mean, at that moment, you're you're suffering. So here's the solution. Maybe something could give you a shot. I mean, I'm just in awe of you, to be honest with you. Oh, stop it. I really I, am. We, we've got to, no, we've got to, we've got to give each other a big hug when we see each other in person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we will. Well, just, here's for now. Here's, here's the best one I could give you but, now. But, you know, going back to, Joey, going back to what you said about, you know, your, your brother's, um, you know, accident and, and how, you know, waking up to that news, which is, you know, living with a disability, let's face it, it's, it's tough. You know, it's a challenge. Every day I say I wake up and there's a challenge. You know, I've had to learn to adjust everything I do in my life. but And that's the thing about disability and that's missing now, which is why I've decided to, to do this study now, is that when you're in a spinal ward in particular, it's all about what's wrong with you, you know, being less than. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having a disability doesn't make you less than. You're just different, right? So right. if we can give, if we can think about recovery in not just let's, you know, you when you're in a spinal ward, they're talking all the time about, you know, you, you'll have to use a catheter. You don't have any feeling. They talk about your sex life. They, you know, it's always these things that it's always like drummed into you that you're imperfect, right? So mm -hmm. I want to say, no, that's not imperfect. You know, there's so let's start with, let's start with what's right with you. And that's really the premise of this. And that's what positive, this, you know, positive psychology movement is all about. It's giving people the tools so they can learn, so they can tap into their strengths, so they can look at what they value in life, so they can learn how to laugh and be connected and, um, you know, how, what acceptance is. And, of course, one of the most powerful tools that we have is gratitude. And we know science tells us now that gratitude actually changes our brains. And mm -hmm. that's what another thing Maria gave for me. You know, I mean, I in a, in, a, in a strange way, I mean, I always looked at her and thought, wow, I'm so blessed. My accident could have been so much worse. Right. Let me ask you a question. Um, when you talked about dying, were you conscious of being dead? I mean, was there something that you could almost, I mean, was there life there? I mean, in, in you? Yeah. I mean, so your spirit was real. Yeah, we are. The feeling was real. Yeah, you know, and it's people ask me. I I always say I don't talk a lot about that because I came back to learn how to live. You know, and I say this is where yeah. this is where the work is done, and because I I think people are very focused on what's on the other side because I'm like, don't worry about that. Just worry about. Well, there's two giant fears yeah. of living, obviously, oh, yeah. your best life, and then dying. Which is, yeah. is there any? 
you know. So when you say something like that, I mean, I mean, for me, yeah. it would just it's just an interesting equation that yeah. that you that you felt you recognize yourself in an energy or. Yeah, I had a very no. What I mean, I know it was energy, and I feel that um, you know the the story of my TED talk, you know, is all about realizing that I wasn't my body. You know that that none of us are that we are. You know, in the words of Viktor Frankl, the defiant human spirit, and of course, my memoir is called Defiant. So you know, we are you know spiritual beings having a human experience, as we've heard people say in the past. Right. But I had a very clear memory of being out of my body. I had a very clear memory of looking down at my body in the hospital, and I had an awareness of I get to choose. This is my choice. Do I go back or not? I mean, I could have not gone back and you know I was angry for a long time why did I go back to that broken body and I think it was the greatest opportunity for me to learn because I used as an athlete my whole life was all about my body that's how I Mm -hmm. put myself forward in the world so you know if there was one thing one thing that could wake me up to who I really was it was to lose the thing that I thought defined me which was my body which is exactly what I lost you know wow I love reframing. I love sort of saying, well, everything happens for me, not to me. And that's just a way of, you know, being up to work with whatever happens in life. Yeah, I agree. What's next for you? Well, to work on turning my memoir, Defiant, into a movie, and which would be fantastic. I would love that. I'd love to see that come to life. And what my TED Talk was able to do is take my story out into a bigger world. I've had letters from people in you know little villages in Colombia to India to, I mean, one reason I actually moved to the States was one day I opened my laptop and there was a, an email from a man in India and he said, Dear Miss Shepherd, <laughs> um, I've had an ailment for 19 years. Um, And he said, and it's so bad, I was going to kill myself. He said, but I saw your talk today and it's given me hope. My life starts now. Pray for me. That's awesome. And I just, I thought at that point I was like, oh, I I think I need to stop, (laughs) you know, just settle down and stop speaking. And it was like, no, I can't, this is, this is my why. And so I sort of closed my laptop and moved to America, which was the craziest thing. You know, my kids were no longer at home, so I packed up and just moved, not knowing what I was doing there. And it's just been this incredible journey. I think that's what I, to me, it's all about tapping in and listening to what am I, what am I supposed to be doing with my life and being really tuned into the, you know, the call. That's sort of- mm-hmm. right. Well, as you know, I'm right there with you. I think that your story would make a great dramatic production. Awesome. We're on our way to getting it done. Yeah. Who, what actress would you like to see portray you? That's a great question. Well, I um, am open to a few different. I mean, Emma Stone. I love Emma Stone. Well, I think Margot <laughs> Robbie obviously can nail the accent. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. But I think it has to be someone. Well, I'm a big fan of Saoirse Ronan as well. I love her. Listen, I love them all. They're all they're all quite yeah. good. Um, you know the movie Lion? Have you seen Lion? Yeah. Of course. Oh yeah. I mean, to me, that just. You know, it's it's a spiritual movie, and my journey has been a spiritual journey, and I really hope that you know it gets made in in that in that sense that it, that people get that, and also I think it's such a great time for a female lead role, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They need to take Hollywood back. 
<laughs> Janine, before we let you go, where can listeners follow your journey and find you on social media? Well, they can follow me on I'm on um, Instagram, Janine underscore Shepherd, um, Twitter at Janine Shepherd. I even have TikTok, Janine Shepherd Pilot. You can see some little flying videos there. Oh, great. Great. I'll sign are on you, today. Are you dancing on the wing of the plane while it's flying <laughs> upside down? Of course, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Clubhouse, which has just started. You're a little social butterfly, aren't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank All the you best. So Stay much. well. I can't wait to see you guys and share that drink. Well, if that didn't inspire you, I don't know what's going to. You know, I mean, if you couldn't feel that, seriously. I agree. An amazing story. So if you've enjoyed our first few episodes, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And do not forget, please, to follow us on social media. We'll be posting recipes, photos, links, and all of these are for you. Yeah, and we'll put up Janine's TED Talk for sure. Yeah, for sure. Continue to send in your questions, but please ask Joey some questions. I don't want to be this popular. (laughs) And don't be afraid. I don't bite hard. I nibble. Anyway, we'll talk to you soon. You can send us messages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email your question to contact at twoguysfromhollywood.com. We'll talk at you soon. Two Guys from Hollywood is hosted, created, and produced by Alan Nubbins and Joey Santos. Produced by Lauren Boone. Editing and post-production by Nathan Moody. Music by Luca. Executive produced by Dan Patrick. It is also executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Panella for Workhouse Media. This podcast is a production of Renaissance Literary and Talent and Dan Patrick Productions in association with Workhouse Media. Two Guys from Hollywood is a production of iHeartRadio and the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.